0: Today, on Bread for the Broken, with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Bread for the broken. God already
1: knows there's going to be an encounter between Jacob and Esau. And God says, listen, dude, I will be with you. I'll be with you. Just go on the journey. I got your back. I got your back. And that's enough for Jacob. That was enough for him. Now, we're going to see him falter in his trust of this promise, just like I do, just like I think we all do, when God shows up continually and says, listen, um, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I got your back. I believe that on some days, and I don't always believe that on other days, if I'm honest.
0: Today, Pastor James teaches how God is in control. To some, that may be difficult to hear. You need to trust even when it doesn't make sense. He'll come through like no other. When Jacob was older, he fell in love with Rebecca. After 14 years of hard labor, being tricked into marrying Rebecca's older sister Leah, Laban finally allowed Jacob to marry his true love. He was also tricked out of money and livestock by Laban. Through this, God continued to teach Jacob, Don't worry, I am with you. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Genesis chapter 30 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken.
1: So Jacob, verse 37, took for himself rods of green poplar and the an almond and chestnut trees, peeled white strips in them, and exposed the white which was in the rods. And the rods which he had peeled, he set before the flocks in the gutters, in the watering troughs, where the flocks came to drink, so that they should conceive when they came to drink. So the flocks conceived before the rods, and the flocks brought forth, streaked, speckled, and spotted. When Jacob separated the lambs, he made and made the flocks face toward the street and all the brown in the flock of Laban. He, But he put his own flocks by themselves and did not put them with Laban's flock. So he is, is this science? I, I don't know. Does does this work? I have no idea. I'm not a rancher. I'm not a farm. I don't, I no, I don't think. We know we're going to be told in chapter 31 what actually happened. So is he doing this to kind of trick Laban's herdsmen and thinking like, oh, that's how you do that? Oh, that's weird. I didn't know if you peeled some strips of bark off of that, that that would produce speckled and spotted lambs. It's probably, that's not that's not what's happening. But here's Jacob, and he's doing this for some reason. I don't know why. I'm going to be honest with you. I have no clue why. I read commentaries on this, and nobody knows why. Nobody understands this totally. There's different thoughts and all that stuff. We just know Jacob has spent a lot of time with these flocks. And he's a really smart guy. And he knows what he's doing. He understands something that these other herdsmen, they don't have a clue about. They don't know. So he's setting this all up. And the the flocks are giving birth to speckled and streaked and spotted ones. and, And his herd is growing. And he's separating them out from Laban's flock. Verse 41, and it came to pass, whenever the strongest livestock conceived, that Jacob placed the rods before the eyes of the the livestock in the gutters, that they might conceive among the rods. But when the flocks were feeble or weak, he did not put them in. So the feebler were Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks, female and male servants, and camels and donkeys." So he, he has this brilliant plan. He does this. And as he's taking care of the flock, and yeah, his uncle his uncle thought he got one over on him. Jacob's like, I'm not worried about it. Jacob ends up with the strongest flock, a hundred times stronger than what Laban had, even originally. So Jacob's just, he's just doing this thing and he's taking care of these. And, and the Lord is blessing him. The Lord is blessing him. He is blessing his faithfulness in his work. He was willing to work, and he was willing to do, like, OK, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut, and I'm just going to do what I'm supposed to do. That's what I'm going to do. And Lord, this is, I'm trusting you in this whole deal. He gets blessed by this. He gets blessed by this, and, and is, it, the, that word there, exceedingly prosperous. I mean, there, there's a lot behind that. It's just an abundance that is taking place there. And we remember the promise at Bethel, where God says, listen, I'm going to take care of you. Jacob could have had it in his brain of how that was going to look, right? We do that sometimes. We do that sometimes. Maybe the Lord shows up in your life and he says, listen, I don't want you to worry. Actually, he tells us that a lot in the Bible. He says, I don't want you to worry. I'm going to take care of you. You see the birds outside? Are they stressing over food? No, I got them. What about the flowers of the field? Are they worried about how they look? And then they blossom, the beautiful colors, and all that stuff. I clothe those things. So why are you worried about it? So Jacob maybe have having his brain, like I often do. I'm like, OK, Lord, um, yeah, you know what? I know you're good. And I know you're going to take care of me. And I think it's probably going to go like this. Boom, 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 boom. That's, that's how it's going to go, right, Lord? And he's like, well, do you want that, or do you want my plan? Because my plan is sometimes exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think. Which one do you want? You want your plan? it's cute. It's not, you know, all that impressive. Or do you want mine? I don't think Jacob would have ever had thought that he would go into Laban's house with nothing and come out of Laban's house with, he's got 11 sons. He's got one daughter. He's got two wives. Okay, that's not really the best thing. But he's got, you know, he's married and he has an abundance in the flock. And not just the sheep and the goats, but he's got camels and donkeys. He is a God has caused this abundance to happen within his life. God's taking care of him. God has taken care of them, And it's a beautiful thing. And it really should have been, it was a tremendous witness to Laban. However, it never really clicked in Laban's heart and his mind. There he had in his house, so to speak, a man of God, a man who had this tr- brilliant encounter with God that nobody else has ever had. And he's being blessed because of it. And the whole time, all he thinks about is himself. How can I get more? How can I get more? How can I get more? You can accumulate so much wealth and so much stuff on this planet, but then in the end of it all, you got nothing. You can't take it with you. Enjoy it while you got it, Laban, because none of it's going with you. None of it. Now, had he surrendered his life to the Lord because of the witness of Jacob, well, there would be treasures in heaven waiting for this guy that, that the, the treasures of this earth just don't even compare to. They just don't even compare to. But he missed it. Just totally missed it. Too consumed with himself. Too consumed with himself. But the time has come. Jacob is frustrated. You ever been there? Just frustrated? You're like, Lord, I know you're calling me to go. When? I lived that way. I don't know for how long. But before we moved down here to Galveston, when we were in that limbo stage of like, Lord, we know you're calling us to leave Amarillo. We know you're calling us, but where do you want us to go? That is a frustrating and stressful time in your life. It just is. Because you know, like, God, I know you're calling me to take a step of faith. I know you, I know you want me to be somewhere. But when? When, Lord? When, give me a green light. When's this going to happen? When's it going to happen? i live that. I lived that for, for so much of my life and, uh, and all the stress and everything that came with that. But then it happens, and the Lord says, Okay, go. Okay, now go. Now go. Oh, wait, no, not, not now, Lord. No, I'm, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Yeah, all that time complaining. No, Lord, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Too late. Green light. You better go. You better go. Jacob gets his green light. All, this, all the frustration, all the stuff. But he kept his mouth quiet and he just worked. And the Lord shows up and says, OK, now, now go. There's going to be some tension in the family. Sometimes the Lord does that to move you on, right? The Lord knows how to, he knows how to work in the hearts of men, even if they're not men who know him. He knows how to work in the hearts of, of all men. Verse 1 of chapter 31, now Jacob heard the words of Laban's son, saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's. And from uh, what was our father's, he has acquired all his wealth. And Jacob saw the countenance of Laban. And indeed, it was not favorable. <laughs> his uncle is like mean mugging him. You know what that is? He's just like staring him down and like, it's just tension, tension, tension. It's not good. It was not favorable toward him as before. Then the Lord spoke to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. Things are getting kind of tense in the house. Laban, at one point, was smiling. And now he sees how God is blessing Jacob. And now he has his, his flocks are abounding. And Laban just knows, man, my nephew just got me. I thought I got him. But he's got God on his side. And you can't get anyone who's got God on their side. Right? You might get them for a moment or a few instances or anything. But ultimately, in the end, Jacob wins, purely because God is on his side. And God's got his plan. And so there's Jacob, just working, just serving faithfully six more years. And Laban is just despising him. And so now it's time to go. And God shows up in his life, and he says, "Okay, Jacob, now's the time. You need to leave now, because it's going to get bad. The longer he stays, the worse it's going to get. You need to leave now. Gather up your family and get back to the land that I given to your given to your family. Don't worry, I will be with you. That phrase you need to understand for the rest of Jacob's life. That phrase is key. It is absolutely pivotal. God showing up and saying, listen, don't worry. I will be with you. I will be with you. Because God already knows what's coming. God already already knows that there's going to be an encounter with Esau. Remember Esau, his brother, who's the last thing he said to him was, you're dead. I'm going to kill you. As soon as dad dies, I'm killing you. That was the last thing his brother said to him. No, like, hey, good luck on your journey. Can't wait to meet my sister-in-law. sisters-in-law, none of that stuff, none of that. When dad dies, you're a dead man. Last thing you heard, God already knows there's going to be an encounter between Jacob and Esau. And God says, listen, dude, I will be with you. I'll be with you. Just go on the journey. I got your back. I got your back. And that's enough for Jacob. That was enough for him. Now, we're going to see him falter in his trust of this promise, just like I do, just like I think we all do, when God shows up continually and says, listen, um, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I got your back. I believe that on some days, and I don't always believe that on other days, if I'm honest. It's hard sometimes, where you're like, God, (laughs) where where are you? Like, hello. Um, I think, no, I need you to rescue me. He does in certain ways. But God tells him, listen, I'm going to be with you, so don't worry about it. Verse 4, so Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field to his flock and said to them, I see your father's countenance that it has not been favorable toward me as before. But, God, but the God of my father has been with me. And you know that with all my might, I have served your father. Yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages 10 times. But God did not allow him to hurt me. So there was an intention within his uncle's heart to cause his nephew harm. And Jacob's saying, God's been protecting. This bum has changed my wages 10 times. Can you imagine that? If you're the place of your employment, you show up and you're like, hey, my paycheck, you shorted me. Oh, well, that's just how it is now. Well, you're going to tell me? No, 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 it's just, we change your wages. That's just how it is now. Like, okay." If that happens 10 times, you know what? I'm looking for another job. I'm like, listen, this is not happening. Jacob's like, he's stuck with it. He's stuck with it. What a man. What a guy. I know he's a deceiver. I know he's got his faults. I know he's got his issues. Faithfully, he served his uncle, who was a corrupt man, intent on causing him harm. Jacob, the whole time, knows, God's got my back. You can't touch me. You can try to harm me. You can change my wages 10 times. But God's watching over me. God's watching over me. So he's telling his, his wives about their dad, and they know all this. Verse 8, he says, if he says thus, the speckled shall be your wages, and all the flocks bore speckled. And if he says thus, the street shall be your wages, and all the flocks bore streaked. So God has taken away the livestock of your father and has given them to me. Verse 10, and it happened at the time when the flocks conceived that I lifted up my eyes and I saw in a dream and behold, the rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked, speckled and gray spotted. Then the angel of God spoke to me in a dream saying, Jacob. And I said, here I am. Verse 12, and he said, Lift your eyes now and see all the rams which leap on the flocks are streaked, speckled, and gray spotted. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I'm the God of Bethel. Remember that place where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now arise, get out of this land and return to the land of your family. So Jacob has this dream. He has multiple dreams. He's he's like this dreamer, I guess. He has multiple dreams, and in that dream, he sees what's really happening. It's not sticks, it's not sticks that's that's making these, you know, these flocks produce all these striped and spotted and modeled. I don't even know what that word means. I've never seen that word in my life. Modeled. Uh, <laughs> I think that's ESV there. Um, but he's like, no, what really was happening was God was producing these livestock. God was the one producing the striped and spotted ones because God made all these animals pop up out of the ground in Genesis chapter 1, and he has total control of how they're going to look when they come out. He's like, God was watching my back. And he says, even God said, like, listen, I've been watching how your uncle's been treating you. Jacob, I got your back, buddy. Don't even worry about it. You need spotted, speckled, striped, mottled. You need these? I got your back. (laughs) Don't even worry about it. Boom, 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 boom. They just start popping out. Jacob recognized the, what's happening here? And that kind of makes the whole story funny anyways, because maybe he is stripping the bark off of these sticks. Maybe it is a, a way to trick Laban's guys, because I bet after he left, they're all like shaving you know, strips of bark off of there. Like, I don't know. He did something like this. It worked. His were much stronger. It must be in the sticks. It's got to be in the sticks. No, it's not. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. So he's telling his wives this. He's like, listen, God is good. God is good to us, and it's time for us to go. His, his wives have an interesting uh, response to this. Look at verse 14. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, is there still any portion of our inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not considered strangers by him? For he has sold us and also completely consumed our money. What a terrible thing. This is two daughters talking about their dad. And as their husband is going before them saying, listen, you know I've served your dad with integrity. You know I've worked, I've given him all that I have. And it has been God who has blessed us. And his wives respond with like, our dad stole all our money. He doesn't even consider us his daughters. We're strangers in his house. This shows the depravity of Laban. This shows where his heart's at. He doesn't even care about his daughters. They were only worth to him what he could get out of them. That's it. They're like a commodity. Oh, this guy shows up. Yeah, I'll let you marry my daughter. But you're gonna work for it. Yeah, oh you yeah, oh yeah, I, I we see around here the younger daughter doesn't get married before the older daughter, so that's why you married my older daughter. But I'll give you my younger daughter. But you're going to have to work for it. He used his daughters to get wealthy. He used his daughters to get wealthy. And then he completely disowned them, he treated them as strangers within his own house. There was no love for Laban towards his daughters. And we're going to see the end of this story and all that stuff. It, it appears that way, but it's not that way. Things aren't always as they appear. But this really gives you great insight into Laban. And and my goodness, you got Leah and Rachel who are like, our dad stole all our money. Why would we want to stay around with this guy? He treats us like servants. He doesn't care about us. He's never cared about us. He's consumed, he's completely consumed all of our money. That dowry and everything, it's gone, it's gone. Verse 16, for all these riches which God has taken from our father are really ours and our children's. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do it. That's wisdom from wives. Wisdom from wives. And and they they come alongside their husband and they say, listen, Jacob, if God is telling you to go, you obey God. You obey God. Don't worry about us, Jacob. You obey God. That's a great thing for wives to say to their husbands. It's difficult to lead families. It is a difficult thing. Let me tell you, it is, there, and I hold fast to what the Bible says, and especially Ephesians chapter 5. I believe that husbands should be the spiritual leaders of their household. And I think there's a reason for that. It doesn't devalue women at all. Not at all. Not, not in the least bit. But there, is, there can be a lot of pressure for, for dads just to, to try to lead their families in the way of the Lord. And I mean, my goodness, the hardest decision I ever made was packing up my family and moving them down to Galveston where we knew nobody. Leaving all family and friends and all the stuff. The hardest, it wasn't going, it wasn't moving to a town that I didn't know. I don't care about any of that stuff. The hardest part of that was knowing I'm taking my kids away from all their friends. I'm taking my wife away from all her friends. And we're starting from scratch. That was the hardest decision I've ever made in my life. But my wife knew how to come alongside me and say, listen, if God is telling you to do this, then you do it. Then you do it. That was all I needed. That was all I needed. You got my back. Let's do this. Let's do this. It's a difficult thing. So this was probably like a nice little shot of confidence for Jacob, saying like, "Okay." Let's go. Let's go. You guys got my back? Then let's do this. Verse 17. Then Jacob rose and set his sons and his wives on camels. And he carried, he didn't show up with any camels. You remember that? He's on foot. He is on foot running from his brother. And now he's leaving on camels. That's like luxury, by the way. I don't know if you know that. But that's like, you're cruising out in like, what would we? be? Like, uh, I don't know, what's a Tesla or something like that? I don't know cars that much. But uh, it's like, you're cruising out in style, OK? Like, yeah, the camels are the are the thing. So he loads up his family on multiple camels. Maybe all his kids have their own camel. We have no idea. But he's, he's wealthy now. He's wealthy now. Verse 18, and he carried away all his livestock and all his possessions, which he had gained and he, his acquired livestock, which he had gained in Padan Aram, to go uh, to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. Now Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the household idols that were her father's. What are you doing, Rachel? Here's the thing. So the household idols in, in this land where they live, part of that was like, almost like an inheritance to everything that Laban owned. What she's doing is probably a little bit upset with her dad for stealing all her stuff. She's like, listen, dude, I'm going to steal all your valuable possessions. Now, they're little things. Then they're just sticks and stones and all that. They mean nothing, OK? They're not real. But they're the idols. But for him and for his sons, that's like everything. I mean, that's almost like the title deed to his property. That's, that's everything for him. So she says, I'll get my dad. Whew, she snatches him. She steals them. She's like, no, you stole from me, so I'm going to steal from you. Rachel's got that little fire in her, I guess. I don't know what's going on here. I don't know if she's taking them because she wants to worship these idols, and that's what I'm saying. Because I know a lot of times people put it that way. of like, well, maybe Rachel didn't want to leave her household idols. I don't know if that's really what's going on there, honestly. I've seen, I've heard that before and all that. When you think of it as the fact that like those things symbolized everything that he owned, It's almost a way of the daughter getting back at her dad, saying, you stole everything that I have. I'm going to steal everything that you have. So is it right? No, she shouldn't have done that. She shouldn't have done that. But I don't think it's connected to idol worship, is all I'm saying. I could be wrong on that, and that's fine. But she's really kind of sticking it to her dad. That's kind of what's going on. So when he shows up and he notices that those idols are gone, he doesn't care so much that his daughters are gone. He doesn't care so much that his grandsons are gone and that his granddaughter is gone, and maybe they had more than that. He doesn't care so much about that. What he cares most about is those idols. Because for him, I mean, that's a mortgage to his house. That's like, that's everything. <laughs> like, you stole everything I have.
0: Oh, no. The historical stories we've been reading about in the book of Genesis are filled with lessons that we just can't ignore. Adam and Eve chose to disobey, and the consequences meant separation from God for all of mankind. Sin entered the world and grew so great that God had to step in. Noah and his family were spared because of their devotion to the Creator, and Abraham's nephew was saved for similar reasons. God does look after those who call him Lord and who follow him with all that they are. God's compassion goes even beyond this. He sent His only Son to earth to die in our place, removing the punishment for all of our evil deeds. Jesus' life provided a way for us to reconnect with our Creator and begin to live a new life covered in grace. All we need to do is realize just how sinful we are and how we're unable to do enough to warrant the acceptance of our perfect Creator. We then need to accept that Jesus, who is God's Son, lived a perfect life and then took our sins to the grave. He defeated death three days later. Because of this, he's offering us grace and forgiveness for all of our sins. All we need to do is say yes. We pray that you choose to say yes today. We'd like to encourage you right away to get involved in a local church. And if you're in the Galveston area, we'd love to have you join us. Calvary Galveston meets Sundays at 10 a.m., and you can find directions online at breadforthebroken.com. With that, our time with you has come to an end today. Join us again on Bread for the Broken, where you'll find hope and new life in Jesus. Let me paint the picture of you, man, who I love.